Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ledlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. Weeks ago, when we decided to keep producing this podcast, to keep creating content in these days, Candace, you and I had a conversation about it, and we knew we'd be releasing content into a culture of people that were facing some of their darkest days, facing some of the most difficult days that they may ever have to face, the loss of jobs, the loss of health, the loss of life. And we went into it saying over and over, we don't have any answers. We may not be able to fix anything for anybody who's listening, but we hope just to make you smile more or laugh more or care more. And I know that this has always been real, but I think for me and I think for a lot of the basketball family, it became a lot more so this week. Weeks ago, Carl Anthony Towns very bravely sat down and he detailed his family's fight with the coronavirus. At the time, both his mom and his dad had been diagnosed with it. He asked for our prayers. He asked that we take it seriously. And days ago, the Minnesota Timberwolves announced that his mother had passed. This season of the NBA, and I mean, this season of my life for that matter, it's all been defined by these unexpected and these devastating losses. I don't know how many times I've said in the last several months, but it's certainly more than I've ever said that words fall short in times like these. Carl, we're with you, we're for you, we love you. And Candace, I think that all of this, again, has just reminded me that we are better together, even when physically we've been told over and over right now to stay apart. The entire NBA family has, has the, the Towns family in their prayers. I know Kat was extremely close with his mom. And just from a human level, I mean, we can all tell stories and, and watch the videos and things like that, but it hits you personally. It hits your heart personally because you know how close families are and you can see it. And so I just think you're right. There are no words to describe, you know, their loss, but also just countless families across the, the world that are going through the same thing. And it's a different circumstance because we're not able to be there for them physically. You know, everybody's told to stay apart, but you're not able, there are some family members that aren't even able to be with their family members when they're sick. And so this is just new territory altogether. This was eye-opening to me, to the reality that so many are facing this very same thing right now. And the thought that the life that you loved could be just another number because there are so many every single day that are facing this and, and losing their fight against it. 
One thing I love about Carl, he donated $100,000 to the Mayo Clinic. And I know a lot of people have brought that up in the last couple of days. But if you look at the timestamps, he did so before his family was involved in this fight whatsoever. He did so because he acknowledged the severity of the situation, the resources that he had at his hands that he could continue to give to the community that he loves. And he gave it before his family was impacted in, in, in any, any way. And that says a lot about Kat. And that says a lot about those around the world that are giving. You know, Kristen, I read this article the other day and it quoted in a book, it's The Signs of Helping Out. And it says, some of the best relief is helping others. Some of the best ways of coping is to do something for somebody else. And so it's nice to kind of look around the league and look around the world and look around at people that are doing things other than just giving money. They're giving time. They're giving energy. They're doing small tasks for others. And, you know, after Easter, we were a little tired. You know, you get the itis a little bit <laughs> after eating Easter dinner. And, um, you know, my family, there's a neighbor across the street and she's an older lady. She lives by herself. Her husband had passed. We were like, you know, let's just give her, let's make her a plate. You know, it's, it's, it's soul food. So I don't know if she'll eat it, but we'll just bring her a plate. Let her know. We'll toast her. Let her know the smile on her face. She opened the blinds. We were talking through glass. We toasted through glass. I mean, it's like simple things like that, that I didn't know would make a, such a difference to her. She can't see people, you know, she can't really get out as much as she wanted to, but just her smile on her face, it gave me whatever I just described in this article, I felt it like a warmth in my body because I knew that it really made her feel special. I just want to say you can give money and that helps, believe me. But even those that can't, just do something kind for, for somebody else to make them feel, feel better. I, I love that you did that because I think that part of the helpless feeling of these days is we don't know how to help. Like, I, I, I don't know what to give or who to give it to. I don't know how to spend my time, how to give my most valuable resources, which is certainly more than money. And as I was looking through what some of even the NBA players have done in these days, Russell Westbrook bought 650 laptops for kids in Houston through his Why Not Foundation. He, you know, he knows that, that school is shifting home now, that so many, like you, Candace, are having to teach all of a sudden. You're homeschool teachers. Russell acknowledged that need and helped provide. Giannis and Tatakumpo and his family, they donated 20,000 protective masks to the Greek healthcare system. You know, going back to the city where his very first ever team was, acknowledging the need, providing a resource. And I think that you make a great point in just providing a plate for your next door neighbor, that we all have the ability to do that, even in our own communities, because looking at it on a global scale, I think can become entirely too overwhelming. It can be daunting and it can make us feel even more so helpless than in these days that we already may feel that way. As again, people haven't just, you know, lost health in these days. They've, they've lost a lot of the resources that they could have given before these days. The school that my husband teaches music at, they're taking donations for, for families who need things right now that 
are the simplest of things, things that we kind of looked around our house and realized, wait, we already have most of these things, what milk and, and eggs and, and meals and toilet paper for crying out loud, who is hiding all of the toilet paper? But his school at Peace Preparatory Academy, the one that I told you about that Lecrae is very heavily involved in, they're taking donations every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Anyone in Atlanta, that's a very easy way you know, to get involved there as well. But anything as simple as that, like you said, Candace, not everybody has the ability to, to give money right now. The reality is most are relying on money being given right now. But to negate that helpless feeling in some way, I think we all are holding on to some resource that can very easily be given away. But Kristen, what if every day we woke up and we brought somebody else up? Whether it be sending a text, you know, giving of your time, hopping on a Zoom conversation. There's so many things that we can do even remotely. I know my daughter looks forward to dribbling drills on Zoom that she does with her team <laughs> twice a week. And that's something that puts a smile on her face and brings some sort of normalcy to her, her world. Yes, money, and I will repeat, is extremely important to donate. But like you said, there are so many out there that can't. And so what are you doing you know, to, to continue to make sure your neighbors are okay, or your friends are okay, or um, your teammates. I mean, there's so many times where you call and you check on me or you email or text or whatever. Our producer, Ann, had a birthday. Happy birthday, Ann. Yes. Like, everybody, you know, checked in. We make sure that those people feel special. So I just really want to continue to reiterate that uh, just because you don't have the monetary resources, it's extremely important to continue to, to give of your time and of your energy. And I think that encouragement like that, again, it can negate that helpless feeling, but can also turn these helpless days yep. around for somebody else yep. as well. You're obviously in LA, Candace. I'm in Atlanta. I know that you're involved in your community there. I'm involved in my community here. Again, I think that people look around and think, well, even if I do have a hundred extra dollars this week, I don't know where to give it. Is there anywhere right now that you're continually investing your resources? Well, along with the LA Sparks, uh, we've done um, some things with the LA USD with my daughter being in school and understanding how difficult remote learning is, especially if your family doesn't have a laptop or internet. And LA USD is the largest school district in California. And so we need to make sure that those students have meals have the ability to continue to learn. I feel the same way here in Atlanta. We've continually financially supported uh, Passion City's relief efforts just here in our community, both in Atlanta or in Washington, D.C. So if you're in either one of those cities, but if you have a need, you can submit it there as well. And they're helping to fulfill those needs in real time for people who need resources right now, whether it's monetary resources or, or whether it's a meal or the kind of things that kids need for schools. They've partnered with several organizations, like I said, both in Atlanta and in DC. Um, and again, if you're in one of those places, then it could be a great place for you to give as well. Well, Candace, one of our dear friends is on the phone, the Hall of Famer, Isaiah Thomas. He and his family have fought the coronavirus very personally. And of course, we'll talk about all things NBA.
Does he have it? Bye. Isaiah Thomas. Bye. Isaiah with a putback off the high glass, and he hit it! The Pistons have won the world championship back to back. Isaiah Thomas was unanimously voted MVP. Uh, Isaiah, congratulations. My honor, my privilege to introduce Isaiah Thomas. We welcome in one of our very favorite teammates, the Hall of Famer, Isaiah Thomas, and the only point guard to lead us on Ledlow and Parker this week. Thank you so much, Zeke. I am so excited to be here. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't been this like happy, feel good in, in a couple of days, in a couple of weeks, actually. So seeing your face, seeing CP, I mean, I'm just, y'all got me. Made my day, made my day. Thank you for coming to be a guest on our show. We've been talking about a lot this year, and so we're, we're happy it, it worked out. Thanks for inviting me into your home. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, though, a little bit about what these last couple of weeks have looked like for you, because you opened up this week on Open Court that your daughter was diagnosed with the coronavirus, that she's been quarantined for more than 30 days, the longest that you've probably gone without being able to see her. What have these weeks been like for you? It's been, uh, it's been very difficult. Uh, you know, it's been very scary also. Um, you know, when you, when we first heard the diagnosis, uh, she went on a, a trip to, to Vegas, uh, a women's empowerment uh, trip, and she came back from Vegas and uh, found out that uh, one of the members there in a group of, of women had tested positive. And uh, so she right away self-quarantined and it took her a while to get the test. And when she got the test, it uh, came back positive. And when it came back positive, uh, that meant that we couldn't have any contact with her. Uh, she's in her apartment in New York, uh, isolated by herself. And, you know, as as parents, you want to you want to go and you know hug your baby and, and be with her, comfort her, and everything else. And uh, it's been it's been extremely difficult, uh, just emotionally for us, but also inspiring for us too. Because uh, you're talking about somebody who said, you know what, I'm getting ready to kick coronavirus ass. Uh, you know, she's been in her apartment. She she hasn't been. Woe is me. Uh, there's been a lot of nights uh, that I'm sure that she's, uh, you know, had the fevers, had the the shakes and the shivers and everything else that you go through with the virus. And uh, she wakes up every day and uh, she gives us a thumb up with the heart in the chat. And, you know, she's she's been extremely positive, which has forced us as a family to, uh, you know, be positive also. Uh, my son. Uh, you know, he started DJing for he's a DJ, so he he gets in the in the live chat every day at four o'clock. Uh, <laughs> I love it. DJ Zeke Thomas, and you know, he starts playing the music, and you know, our family theme song, you know, is "Ain't No Stopping Us Now." <laughs> We're on the move, right? And so he starts out with that, and you know, before you know it, my sister's in. You know, my mother-in-law is in and everybody has found a way to come together through this chat, communicate and talk. And had it not been for Lauren and Joshua, you know, figuring out a way that we can get together, we wouldn't have this type of family. So we got family now from Flint. We got family from Mississippi. We got family from Texas. Everybody's just in the room dancing, jamming, 
and chatting to positive vibes. It's been cool. Candace, you may or may not know that Lauren is actually a fan of Ledlow and Parker. She sent me a bottle of Zeke's champagne during All-Star Weekend in Chicago, and she may have done the same for you. And initially, I assumed it was from Zeke. And then I look at the and it's like, well, Lauren sent us this. Like, because she said that she had been inspired by us. And it's like, now look at these days, and now we have the opportunity to be inspired by her. And, and, and Kristen, to add on to what you're saying, I I don't wonder where she gets her resilience and her attitude and her smile from because we have the opportunity to go to work with Zeke who always has a great attitude, who always has a smile on his face, who has that mentality that, you know, you're going to beat everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> both as a player, <laughs> yes, as a player decades and later. As a person. <laughs> um, but that really is inspiring and like you said, just getting the champagne and just the little type of things that you can do now with technology to still maintain relationships with people and still be there even though you're not there in the presence. Like what I mean Technology really has taken off. I know my friend was talking about trying to show her grandma how to zoom and like the different camera angles have been hilarious. But to, just to see those smiles uh, on technology, Zeke, that, that's got to be special. It, it, it truly is. And, you know, you, you talk about your, your friend's grandmother where my mother-in-law is, is 80. My sister, who's 71, uh, they're, in, they're in the chat room and they're, you know, they, they singing and dancing and then... You know, and of course they'll make a request, right? And when they make a request, like my mother-in-law, she wants to hear like, you know, some Nat King Cole and some Johnny <laughs> Mathis, you know? <laughs> so all of a sudden we, we're we jamming, you know, we got Biggie going and then my son had transitioned from, Big, from Biggie to Johnny Mathis. <laughs> <laughs> Testing his DJ skills. Uh, it's, been, it's been great, you know. And, and all of a sudden, you everybody applause and kind of slow down. But we we've been having a good time. We've been having a lot of fun. We've had the conversation a lot, and we're interested to know from you, as a Hall of Famer, what these days could possibly look like with the NBA moving forward. I know that there are a lot of rumors and reports of of what it could be. Are we already in the off season? You know, it, it, it's possible, um, and you know, I'll I'll just I'll just follow what uh, Dr. Fauci is saying is that you know the the virus will tell us what to do, and no matter how hard we try to push or wish, uh, you know, the the virus is in control, and we we really do have to follow what the virus is saying to us as human beings and as people. And I think sport has a, a, a big responsibility here to uh, lead again. And, and sometimes uh, leading doesn't mean that you have to be first. Uh, leading doesn't mean that you have to be the one that brings everybody together. Leading means that you may have to be the one who's telling everybody to be a little bit more cautious and to be a little bit more patient. So when you're talking about opening up society, I don't know if sports should be the first thing to jump off the diving board. Uh, I think as you slowly move out, uh, you, you, you move out in, in, into the business sector, into the, into the faith space, uh, and you know the, the political space, sport may be the last thing that you introduce into society because sport has a way of bringing everybody together in large crowds. 
And the thing that we know that the virus feeds off of is people in large crowds. So we we may just have to be a little bit careful here in terms of how we roll out. You know, Zeke, there were a lot of things that were canceled that were unheard of, if you think about it. I mean, you think about the NCAA tournament that was canceled. You think about all the seniors that, that didn't get a chance to participate in that. You think about the Olympics and the cancellation or basically the postponement yeah. until 2021 to the Olympics. You were on a team in 1980 that did not participate in the Moscow Olympics. Mentally, to have something like that be postponed. I mean, you think about different sports. We look at basketball, but you think about the different sports, tennis, gymnastics, wrestling, track, that age does another year matters. Um, What can you say about that, your experience with that happening to you? You know, it it was, it was devastating uh, not having a chance to, to go and compete. Um, And you know, it's funny because we we look back on those times and, and we boycotted the 80 Olympics because Russia invaded Afghanistan. And now we, the United States, are in Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, that period of time, you know, having that taken away from you and not being able to compete for your country. Um, I had competed in the 79 Pan Am Games. Uh, we won the gold medal there. So in 80, that was the time where you were going to go to the Olympics. And uh, we were all excited. And, and I remember when President Carter uh, told us that we couldn't go to the Olympics, uh, that, that was a, a hard and crushing blow. And then when all the athletes got together, you, you always only think about how, you're, how you feel as a person uh, or how you're feeling with your teammates. But then when I, I got a chance to talk with the swimmers, track team, uh, you know, the boxers, you know, other people who were going to be competing in the Summer Olympics with us and realized that for a lot of them, that was their last dance. That was their last chance at, you know, competing on a team and with a team. You know, at that point in time, there there was no WNBA. And I remember, um, you know, Ann Myers and I became uh, very good friends during that period of time. Uh, and, you know, they there was no there was no next step for them. There was nothing else to go to. We we had an NBA to look forward to uh, the track and field. Uh, there was there was no next level. So you you really got out of your feelings and started really understanding for what everybody else was going through. And, you know, all these big events that are being canceled right now uh, for the people who, you know, who have had their experience taken away from them, this may be the last time that they're really at the peak and at the top of their game, and they may not be able to regain that back. And it, it's a loss. It's a big loss. When you look at a guy like LeBron James, who, of course, we keep waiting to see him <laughs> on the other side of, uh, of his peak, but a guy like that who's built chemistry all season long with a team that was among the best in the league with such uncertainty ahead for the NBA, do you think that some of these guys, even some of these superstars, could experience the same thing you're describing? Absolutely, they will. We're already in, in, in April. And they're talking about possibly, uh, you know, being able to play in June or July. Now, and then 
you hear today that there's a second wave of the pandemic that will that will come again in the fall or maybe in the winter. So, you know, now you're looking at maybe even pushing it back further. And then it gets to the point where can you really have a, a season ending? And if you do have a season ending, will these players and a guy like LeBron still be able to be in shape, still be able to have that perseverance, stamina, energy, emotion, drive, all of that still going? You'd probably say no. But, but to add to what you're saying, too, if I'm an owner and I'm paying this man 200 and something million dollars, do I really yeah. want to put him out there after being in quarantine for eight weeks with a treadmill and some hand weights with no gym and risk injury? I mean, it just seems like you're right. It's getting to that point, you know? How much would a championship mean if the circumstances are entirely different or the season is shortened? Well, we know one guy would care. That's LeBron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Him aside. <laughs> and, and I think he cares because his his he has such a, an important legacy tied to this season uh, where others really, you know, it's a championship and it's a or whatever kind of season, but you know, not very many players have come along where they get to play for the absolute being considered the best in the sport ever, you know, and you know, there's only been maybe three or four that can really have that opportunity where we talk about them like that. And LeBron James is one of them. So I'm sure he wants to finish this season, complete it. Everybody else, I think they'll get over it. But I think emotionally for LeBron, it could be a, a, a hard swallow, uh, you know, on a bitter apple right now. Uh, I, I saw you smiling, Candace. I, I think that he's segued perfectly into what exactly. you want to ask next. I cannot yeah. wait. Candace always <laughs> set me up. What you <laughs> set me up for so now? Speaking of one great player, uh, one ah. great player we're talking to, and another great player that happens to be having a documentary come out soon uh, yeah. of the Bulls. And I grew up in Chicago. You grew up in Chicago. You were part of the bad boys, though. And yeah. I will say, and I want to add this, and I think I've told you this. Before we won the championship in 2016, we watched that bad boys documentary. And I really do feel like we kind of took on a different energy and attitude and whatever. What can you say about your time playing against the Bulls, being from Chicago? And a certain player uh, that shall remain <laughs> nameless. Well, I, I truly enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, and that's because we were winning. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, I know. love it. Candace, this is what I love about him. Like, it, it's decades later. He still holds on to every bit of it. He well, <laughs> if, I mean, yeah, if, if we were losing, of course, it's misery. But, you know, if, you know who wants to go home? play in front of your, your family and friends and lose. Uh, so, of course, it, it was great. And, you know, I, I've said this before, though. Um, there, there's two players over the last, you know, 30 years that you can actually pinpoint uh, the growth of the NBA, the money that we make, and the jobs that we have. You can, you can truly tie it to Michael Jordan and LeBron James. What they've meant to our sport from a growth standpoint, uh, th there hasn't been two other players who have, you know, you know, ex expanded and exploded our game 
the way these two have monetarily and globally from a fan standpoint. Uh, but, but playing against Chicago during those years, but believe it or not, uh, you know, Ch Chicago wasn't our biggest rivalry. They were, they were a, a good basketball team. Uh, but, but our rivalry during that time was the Celtics and the Lakers. Uh, now we may have been Chicago's rival, but at that time we, we were, we were trying to beat Boston and, and Larry Bird, you know, Kevin McHale, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Dr. J. Moses Malone. Those were the people that were in front of us that we were looking up to trying to catch. Uh, Chicago and Atlanta, they were actually behind us. And this is no knock on, on anybody, but you know, when, you, when you're trying to catch Bird and McHale, Jordan was the MVP and he was the best player in our league. But from a team standpoint, uh, we were we were beating their team, and and you know so the the last dance that's coming out, uh, and we'll talk about Jordan and their team and their domination in the '90s, but in the '80s it was you know Philly, Boston, L.A. and, and Detroit. Those were those were the winners. Those were the champions. How often do you still go back and watch any of that? I mean, will this be the first time in years that you've seen any of that old footage? It's interesting. Uh, I, they don't show uh, Detroit Chicago games. <laughs> you know, I, it, we we see we see Boston Chicago. Uh, we've seen L.A. I mean, we see Boston Detroit. We see L.A. Detroit. But the only game that uh, they've kind of you know shown a little bit is the uh, the of course the game that they beat us. But they don't they don't show the other games where we were pretty much beating them. But but again, when you go back to Jordan and LeBron, though, those two in terms of what they've done for our league, we're having a you know a podcast here now in in the NBA. You you can you can actually pinpoint the growth and explosion, and you can put it on those two guys back in terms of why well, a lot of us get to still eat off of what they've done and how they've exploded our league. Zeke, you know, I get in discussions all the time because I'm from Chicago and my yeah. brothers and I like, especially now that we have all this free time, we like getting on Zoom and just debating things. And one of the things that was debated was one, a certain teammate of yours, Bill Lambeer, a rival of ours. I don't, I don't mess with Bill, but anyway, a rival of our team with the Sparks. Any chance to make that publicly known again? I just want to say, yeah. Zeke, <laughs> Bill Lambeer started talking junk on the sideline in Vegas, and I remember I dropped like thirty because he started talking. So I'm just saying he taught. He still talks trash, but, but anyway. But you gotta understand, you play for the LA Sparks. I understand, and I get the okay. rivalry, but I can pick that up. <laughs> the bad boys have motivated you, Candace, in more than one way. And more than one way. And <laughs> Bill Lambeer said he would take LeBron over Michael Jordan. My brother and I have recently gotten to a discussion about how at the time, especially in the 80s, when Michael Jordan was leading the league in scoring and doing everything, everybody was like, nobody can lead the league in scoring and win a championship. He's not doing all the things that are necessary. Well, now we fast forward to a league that criticized LeBron for passing. But back in the day, passing, you didn't have a superstar that just scored. You had to pass and assist and you couldn't really lead the league in scoring like that. 
So one, you have to defend or not your teammate in that are you taking LeBron over MJ? Or in two, where can you say about the state of the league? And if you would have played in this league, because you were one of those people that assisted a lot more than, I mean, you could score anytime you wanted to. He could thrive in this league. You would thrive in this league. So where do you see your place in this league in the way that it's played now? So that, that's that's a very interesting question, and, and it's a it's a big question because um, you know when I Lambeer's statement, if if you if you hear it out clearly, uh, he said the difference between Jordan and LeBron in their early years is that LeBron came in with an understanding of how to make his teammates better, how to elevate his team, and during that time. You were not going to be. You were not going to be the Pistons, the Celtics, the Lakers, or the 76ers being a one-man show. Uh, you had to play chess. You had to. You had to scheme. You had to understand how to move the pieces around and to make other players better. Jordan, his early years, he was a one-man show. He would score 50 points. He would score 60 points, and and he would be fabulous. But his team would lose. LeBron came in with the understanding of how to move the chess pieces on the chessboard and was going to the NBA final. That was mind blowing for all of us. Uh, and then, you know, Gene finally learned how to move the pieces around on the chessboard, how to make Steve Kerr a better player, how to make Scottie Pippen a better player, how to elevate his team and still control the game. Once he and Phil Jackson got together, that's when Jordan, team-wise, took off and went to another level. That's what Lambeer was saying. So when you talk about the better player, the better all-around player, and I've said this before, the best, the best player, in my opinion, to ever play the game is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But when you talk about skill in terms of Jordan and LeBron James, Jordan was an a unbelievable scorer. Jordan would come to the table and say, we need 50 points to win and score 50. Oh, we lost? Okay, we need 60, I'll get 60. Okay, LeBron James comes to the table and he say, we need 60 points to win. I'll get 20. Candace, I'm going to give you 20. You know, let low, you got 20. And the three of us as a team is going to win. That, that's the difference. LeBron James, at the end of his career, he will be he may lead the league in scoring and he could possibly lead, you know, be the lead leader in assists. I don't know if that's ever been done. I mean, he's dominating in so many statistical categories and I don't, we've never had another player in our league. When you look across all these different statistical categories that he's in the top five in all of them. I mean, that's crazy. Years ago, when I asked you that very same question, and I thought that you summed it up beautifully. You said, if I have to win one game, I want Michael Jordan. If I have to win a series, I want LeBron James. Absolutely. Uh, You know, because Jordan, again, Jordan and Kobe are, are, are very, very similar in terms of they are going to score. And there's nothing that you can do to stop them from scoring. I mean, it's like, you know, do you want 50? Do you want 60? Do you want 70? You know, do you want 80 or 81, right? (laughs) I mean, those guys, when they decide that they want to score the basketball, there's nothing you can do to stop them. 
But if you're if you're playing chess and talking about moving the pieces around on the court, LeBron James, uh, you know, he's he, he's very heady out there and he knows how to win. But Zeke, and I, I, this is not something that we have to answer because we have a game that we want to play with you. Um, but you in this game, Allen Iverson in this game, Michael Jordan in the way the game is played today, I, I don't. I mean, I think that it's also the era at which we're playing the game. Yeah. Because if you take any three of you guys and put them in the era that's played today, you guys could pick a number of ways to score willingly. I mean, it would be at will. And so I think, you know, in our argument, it's always fun to debate, but I do think that the rules have changed as a result of players like yourself, like Jordan, Shaq. I mean, they changed the way the game is played, which almost makes it, a little bit more fun and easier for this generation uh, to play it. You know, it, it would be interesting to see. Jordan would definitely dominate in this era. It would be interesting to see how he would be coached in this era. Because, you know, you have coaches now who say, don't shoot the mid-range shot. And Michael Jordan was the greatest mid-range scorer ever in the history of our game. And if they take the mid-range shot away from Michael Jordan and they're saying, hey, hey, Jordan, we only want you to shoot threes or, or layups. I mean, coaching-wise, how, how would they coach him? And, and I think for myself, I, I definitely would be a, a better scorer but, but Candace, Ledlow, I, I, I don't know what type of person I would be in this era. And, and, and the reason why is because this is an era that, that says, you know, you can shoot it 30, 35 times, you can take bad shots, and you don't have to be a good teammate necessarily from a distribution standpoint. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what type of guy I would be under those circumstances where everything is just me, 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 me. Um, And I I wouldn't want to be that kind of player and I wouldn't want to be that kind of person. Which is the perfect transition to the game that we have planned for you. I mean, it's almost like this guy works in broadcasting. We're good teammates. (laughs) We're good teammates. (laughs) Since there are no live games to analyze, we want to play a game with you. Okay. The baddest of the bad boys. Everybody knows, of course, that your team was known as the bad boys. You are among the baddest of all the bad boys. So we want to know then and now your starting five baddest bad boys. So let's start then. <laughs> From the Pistons or the, or the whole anyone, anyone, anyone you played with oh. or against. Okay. When you think bad, which of course we all know is good. When you think bad in every sense of the word, who would you put on that starting five? Let's go all time first. Let's go from your day first. Uh, oof. That's a tough one. So Bird, Bird would be at a at a at a at a small four because he could fight. He could throw hands and he liked to fight. I saw Lonnie Shelton chase Buck Williams up in the stands. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Sorry. So I I would put Lonnie Sheldon, you know, uh, there. At, and at the guard spot, Sidney Moncrief. Um, Sidney Moncrief was tough. Um, at, the, at the center spot, probably Bob Lanier. 
Bob Lanier. Okay. Yeah, when when you talk about just gangster, I remember I came down the lane. My first game, I went down the lane, I made a layup, and he said, don't come down here no more. I was like, yeah, all right. You know, I did my little thing, and I came down again. He grabbed me right in the air, boom, <laughs> and said, I told you don't come down here no more. And set me down. The rest of the game, Candace, Chris, shot and I was like, <laughs> mid-range jump shots the rest of the game the whole game yes what about these days though these days i i know it's a little bit different you know you can't really tell who would be a bad boy because a lot of times they don't get the opportunity to be too bad but if you were coming up with today's bad boys who would they be uh in the nba right now yep mm-hmm I mean, that's tough to say because you don't really get to see that side of them anymore. So I I, I don't know who I would say is like a, a straight gangster dog, you know, beat you down kind of guy. Can I throw one out? Yeah. Would Russell Westbrook be on your on your team nowadays? From an intensity standpoint, yes, absolutely. I don't know if Russ can fight. I ain't never seen him fight. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that fine is kind of hefty. I don't blame you, Russ. And not that I want to fight him or anything like that, because I'm too old to do that. But but back then, you kind of knew who who could get down. Nowadays, you don't really know. And, you know, people play hard, but you don't know if if they can fight. So you like my all-tough team, my all-tough team. All them guys that I picked, you knew they could fight and would fight. What about a guy like like Patrick Beverly? I, if I were to get, I could see him then. Okay, okay. Right? So Patrick Patrick Beverly, Tony Allen, who's oh, not in yes. the league Tony anymore. Allen yeah. is a good one. I like that. That's, so Patrick yep. Beverly, Tony Allen, uh, Zach Randolph. Ooh, yeah, Zebo. Um, but like I say, these, they ain't in the league no more. Um, Shaq. Wait, Shaq. Shaq, Shaq's not in the league no more, but, but Shaq was a straight gangster. I don't think I've heard people talk about the side of him, though. People, people talk about him being so goofy and fun, you know? Yeah, he was goofy and fun, but so am I. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Legit. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I'm from, from Chicago. I grew up watching the Bulls. So, like, when I met Zeke, it, it's kind of like you grow up not liking the Pistons. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things. So, like, even though Zeke's from Chicago, it was kind of like, I'm not supposed to like you, you know? <laughs> and the nicest, the nicest no, I, guy. Yes. Like, I'm sure that people ask you all the time about the guys that we work with and what they're really like. And Isaiah, you're one of the people that people ask me about the most. And I always feel like, listen, I don't want to destroy, like, your view of him as the baddest of the bad boys. But, like, <laughs> he is the sweetest man that I know. <laughs> exactly. One of the greatest teammates. Like, I love him. I, I'm telling both of you now, I told you, I make a lot of money on this bad boy stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's like, stop. <laughs> so, yeah, don't tell people so that anymore. Like, you know, like, like, you got to act like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isaiah, I know we've got to let you go, but thank you so much for taking the time, especially during these days, as your family has been fighting its own unique battle, as as you're not just analyzing the NBA for us now, you're joining us as a teammate, a brother, a friend, and we're so thankful. Uh, I'm thankful that you guys have me, and truly, you, you've made my month, you've made my oh. week, just, just seeing you guys and, you know, just 
just feeling the love. It's, you know, it's awesome. So thank you. And thanks for inviting me into the house. Kristen, I know times right now we don't get to travel and do the things that we're accustomed to doing, but I have had some time during this time to reflect on some of the trips and places I've been because of an orange ball. And <laughs> I will say that I went to Beijing in 2008 for the Olympics and the show that they put on there, but I got a chance to go out and explore and I got to go to the great wall and just see that, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. You think about just walking that got to go to, you know, chairman Mao, see chairman Mao, see Tenement square, see all these things that you open up your history book and, and learned about. And now you're standing, you know, in those places, what are, what are some of your favorite trips that you've taken or places that you kind of, dream of or look back at pictures and and reminisce about? I think one of the small gifts during this time where we've all been forced not just to slow down, but to stop entirely is you do have the opportunity to reflect on all the days that led you up until now. Oh man, when I think about a favorite trip that basketball has brought me on uh, several years ago, when the NBA was opening its season in London, I had the opportunity to go there and, and to cover some of just the pregame festivities that were going to take place. I mean, first of all, I think we gain such a limited view of, you know, NBA fans. I think of Bucks fans and I think of Milwaukee. I think of even Lakers fans and I think of LA. I don't think of flying, you know, half a day and halfway around the world and landing and people getting excited even as you're getting off the plane because there's such huge NBA fans over there as well. The NBA fans that will probably never have the opportunity to even watch an NBA game. So when I think about that, going to London, I think was that was one of the coolest trips. One of my favorite parts though, about that London trip, not exactly basketball related, but I was able to host an NBA 2K tournament, which a few professional athletes were taking part in, but a few basketball fans were as well. And I was co-hosting it with Tyson Beckford. Okay. But that's many a woman's dream. <laughs> Many a yeah, man's for that matter. Many uh, <laughs> of everyone's dream, especially okay, at that time. The, so when I was thinking, I, I thought, you know, the first time that I saw him that I was like, whoa, there he is, was the Britney Spears toxic video. Do you remember that music video? Do I remember that video? Come on, Kristen. So I'm like, you know, I'm not going to bring it up. I'm going to be cool really early on. But after we've been there like 40 or so minutes and we're kind of just hanging out, talking about whatever else, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to bring up the toxic video. So I said, you know, hi, uh, I'm also a huge Britney Spears fan. Can you tell me literally anything about working with her? His face lit up and he was like, oh, I actually have a story about this. So Britney was planning to film this toxic music video. The song had already been a hit, he told me. The shoot was going to take place in LA. He was in New York. He was actually celebrating his birthday that night. So he said, you know, I, I live, especially then, very, very healthy lifestyle. He was like, you know, there's maybe one night of the year that I'll drink at all. And it happens to be that night. Well, he gets a call the middle of the night 
from his agent who says that Britney Spears has landed in LA, has seen Tyson on a billboard and says, he's got to be the guy for the toxic video. He's like, but you have to be here by tomorrow morning. He said he walked out of his own birthday party. Like it didn't say, but like just, he was like, you know, I, I don't know. I had been drinking. I, he was like, I put the phone in my pocket, walked out and immediately got on a plane, flew through the night to land that next morning. He said, I got there and I felt so sick. And they're like, you're going to do the shirtless scene on a motorcycle. And I'm like, there's no chance that I can do that today. Like, there's just no chance. And, and so he's like, is there any chance that I can talk to her? You know, just kind of explain that. So he goes to Brittany who, this is the height of, of, of her fame. And he explains what's happened, that he got the call in the middle of the night, that it was his birthday. And she says, you know, well, why don't you go lay down for a few hours and we'll do all of the rest. And he said, when he woke up, they had given him a space, obviously in a trailer. When he woke up and walked back out on set, she had had them deliver a birthday cake and everybody on the toxic music video set saying happy birthday to him because of what he had done. That's awesome. That's, that's the greatest story because we all realize like there was a lot of people that had done that for Brittany and flown, walked out of their birthday party. I would have flown through the night. I still would. Being your teammate. I know that this is true. Justin Timberlake and Brittany Spears. We have though been ending the show a little bit differently. We want to end them on a positive note. We want to end them with what's good. What's good? What's good? <laughs> what's good? Candace, I'll start with you. I was reading and looking on, on social media, and I saw that a Brooklyn landlord waived all rent for all tenants. And, you know, he did it with the mindset and left a note on the, you know, the apartment door and basically just said, I want to make sure everybody's health is what they're worrying about and not paying bills. And he said, just be kind to your neighbors. And if you think about that, um, just a great human being, a great person gets it. And so I think that was something that brought a smile to my face for sure. Mine is a smile in the up coming week, but similar in that a great person, great human being just gets it. It is that Candace Parker's birthday oh, is on gosh. Sunday. And that's my what's good of the week. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Happy birthday. Well, thank you for tolerating a crazy Aries like myself. I love it. I love every part. I'm through and through all Aries, but thank you. I share the month with a lot of amazing people. I know Anne is... Yes. And our super producer. Yes. Super producer is having a birthday. And so, yeah. So you're surrounded by Aries. I am. You know, I've learned a lot about just what that sign may mean just by being your teammate and friend. But happy birthday to you, you, Candace. Thank you, Kristen. I love you dearly. I'm so thankful that you are my friend, my teammate, and everyone who's listening wish Candace a happy birthday also. And please, um, Continue to be safe, continue to be healthy, continue to be amazing teammates. Everybody out there that's listening to, you know, Ledlow and Parker, please continue to tell your family and friends to, you know, practice social distancing. We've seen how important it is. So uh, that's what I want for my birthday. I want this to go away the fastest way and everybody do, do your job, do your role. 
play a role. Yes. Even apart. We're better together. A thousand percent. I love you, friend. Love you Happy more. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> 